2: On News Radio six eighty WPTF,
1: and I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner,
3: and I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner, and we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, isn't it
2: uh, interesting? Well, I a comment that I heard last week uh, from someone that was seeking an advisor, and what they said was, "When you seek an advisor, beware of expensive wrap
1: accounts." What What does that mean? Rap accounts, have, they have caused so much confusion. The short answer that I'm going to tell my listening public is avoid rap accounts. If anybody tells you that they offer rap accounts, watch out. Now, what's a wrap account? Well, wrap accounts go back a long ways. They go back to the, uh, I think, the late 80s, as I recall, early 90s, when brokerage firms offered one wrap account to hold the whole portfolio for the investor for a flat quarterly fee or a flat annual fee. And the, the story was it will, co- it will cover all administration, all commissions, all management expenses. They also had names. They called them funds of funds. Or they included funds of funds. Well, now, unfortunately, this 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 wrap account has moved over into the world of financial advisors who are calling themselves fee only financial planners. And you know, there was a cute cartoon last week in Dilbert that was my making fun of this and everything. You know, guy gets a billion. I think he and somehow he ended up with a billion dollars, and he goes to see a financial advisor, and he says. You're gonna charge me what was it, ten million dollars a year?
2: One percent.
1: Yeah. For fun. my managing my billion dollar portfolio and putting it in index funds and
2: He said that means I'm gonna pay you what?
1: <laughs> and, his, and his answer was, Oh, somebody's got it. You don't think those index funds get there by themselves, do you? <laughs> okay. Uh the point is that those who know know that rap accounts are very very expensive ways to get to the investor. Now, here's the way they're promoted today by, quote, quote, fee-only advisors. We will take your money and you will sign a power of attorney giving us authority, <laughs> otherwise known as discretion, to buy and sell on your behalf. So you sign limited power of attorney and we will charge you a wrap fee, one wrap fee that covers everything. Well, it sounds really good the way it's promoted except there's something wrong with that if you're going to be going into mutual funds then you're paying the fees of those mutual funds and then you're paying for this wrap fee to wrap them and then you're giving up control to the advisor it's all very very expensive so They're, they're, they're marketed under a lot of different names these days. Sometimes they still call them funds of funds. Some call this time. They call them rap funds and rap accounts and tax advantage wraps where you can put them in different buckets. But the bottom line is they cost you a lot of money. In my opinion, if somebody says that they do rap accounts, that's a good reason to look somewhere else. Okay.
2: You're listening to
3: Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000.
2: Well, Doug, um, you know, there was an interesting article about inherited IRAs and. Um, as we stated earlier, uh, since a lot of folks, while they're working, uh, have the option of contributing to some type of retirement account with their employer. It could be a 401k or a 457, uh, et cetera. And And oftentimes people accumulate a lot of money in a retirement account. But what happens when that individual passes away? Let's say where
1: where 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 was that article, Linda?
2: I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was
1: uh, well. Let me let me just get us down to the basics, then we'll get then we'll get uh, a little more involved. Okay. First of all, I like to think of investments as chickens, and I like to think of retirement accounts as chicken houses because there is a wolf that would like to eat your chickens. And as long as your chickens are in a chicken house, that wolf, otherwise known as the IRS, cannot touch your chickens. So we have a chicken house, and we've got these investments in there, otherwise known as chickens. When a person dies, if they're married, their spouse can have a chicken house. And the chickens, from the retirement account of the first to die, can automatically roll over to the second to die's. IRA account. No problem. The wolf never touches them. Any spouse can automatically have their husband or their wife's IRA money rolled over, and there's no problem there about the inheritance. Then the question is, well, what about if it's not a spouse? And then we come to some very complicated rules. Matter of fact, they are so complicated that the IRS which rarely ever comes up with rulings, actually did a ruling recently, what they said was the IRS actually gave a ruling in which a teenager who had inherited her father's retirement account gave her permission to undo the lump sum distribution by her mother and transfer the money into something called an inherited IRA. That's really unusual for a private letter ruling to come from the the IRS because they rarely allow tax-deferred retirement assets that someone has already inherited and withdrawn as a lump sum to later be put back into an inherited individual retirement account. So that's how complicated they are. The the, the story is that there are a lot of special precautions for those who are not spouses. Now, if it's going to be going to a child, the child cannot go ahead and avoid The taxes. Right. And let's say it's a million dollar IRA, there's going to be maybe four hundred thousand dollars of taxes if the child just inherit just takes the money. But there is this animal called an inherited IRA, in which instead of the child having to take the whole thing out, paying the taxes, the child has the right to go ahead and leave it in this IRA called an inherited IRA. Now, they're very complicated, and you need to think carefully before you do these.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
1: Parents, especially those who are single, might want to set up some sort of a see-through trust to protect and inherit an IRA. But uh, there are a lot of special... Uh, rules to watch out for when dealing with inherited IRAs. Uh, There's the matter of moving and retitling the account correctly. Uh, There is the matter of meeting certain deadlines. There's a lot of other things, but there are pitfalls to inherited IRAs. And if you are considering something like this, for sure, see a certified financial planner uh, and uh, Watch carefully what you're going to do and then do it properly. We've done a number of these, of course, for our clients.
2: So if you're listening tonight and maybe you're a widow or a widower and you've lost a spouse and you have questions about what you should do in your situation, um, there are you know, uh, many questions that people have. And so it's important to write those questions down. Work with a certified financial planner that can assist you in getting answers to your questions. Financial planning is your business.
1: I love the client (laughs) who came to see me and said, Doug, I've been a faithful listener of yours for 15 years. And I said, well, (laughs) what took you so long to come on in? Uh, Anyway.
2: Sometimes it does take time.
1: Yeah, procrastination doesn't belong to anyone's sex or age. (laughs)
2: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919 872 7000 and we will get
1: started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. Dave, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
4: Hey, Doug, enjoy your program.
1: Thank you. Uh,
4: my question is about Roth. Uh, eligibility. I uh, contribute the max currently to a company 401. Uh huh. And um, so I'm wondering, can I still contribute to a Roth IRA?
1: Uh, a Roth IRA through the company or a Roth IRA on your own? On my own. Um, well, what's your income?
4: Uh, it's about 120K.
1: Yeah, you probably can. Um, how old are you? 51. 51 years old. Tell me a little bit more about yourself, and I'll tell you what I think you should. Uh, okay. You're 51 years old and married? Single. Single. Any children?
4: Uh, two, but they're adults.
1: Okay. Income is 127000 What's your investment portfolio look like, the non-chicken house stuff, all the stuff that's outside of retirement plans?
4: Uh, I have uh, two mutual funds that are target retirement funds. Uh, And I have about uh, 50K in those. I keep about 30K in cash. And I have about 150K in equity, home equity.
1: Okay, well, let's go down the line and see. Okay, now let's go over the retirement side before I comment. On the retirement side, in the 401K, how much is over there?
4: In the 401K, I have about 400. And in a cash balance uh, that's inactive now, I have about 150.
1: About 150? Yeah. Okay. And in the 400000 in the 401k portion, what's in that?
4: That's a target retirement fund.
1: Okay. So let's look and see first before we go to the matter of the Roth about what's wrong with what you've got. Pretty much everything you've got, in my opinion, is wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, why are you in target retirement funds? Um, Have you read all of the exposure on those that's been happening recently? No, I haven't. Okay. All right. Do you know what a mutual fund is? What What's a mutual fund?
4: It's a pooling of uh, assorted stocks. And bonds. Right.
1: Okay. And I, since the manager of this fund is buying and selling, then do you think it's important to know something about him? I mean, you're giving uh, money. You're giving $50,000 to one of these funds, right?
4: Correct.
1: I'll bet you don't even know the manager's name. I do not. As a matter of fact, the whole thing is this is somehow constructed to be magically worth a certain amount at the time that you retire. There's nothing there. What kind of fund is it? Who's the manager? What are the portfolio? You know, these target retirement funds, they are to be excluded, in my opinion, from your portfolio. This is
3: Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: On your personal side, you have a fifty thousand. That's wrong. You got another fifty thousand, and then what'd you say the thirty thousand was? That's cash. That's cash. Okay, so altogether, in the non-retirement side, you've got one hundred and thirty thousand dollars that you can work with. Right. All right. Then over on the retirement side, you have one hundred and ninety, and you say the entire four hundred in the four hundred one k's in another one of those target funds. Right. Okay. All right. So that needs to be redesigned. Also, that's that. That's just as bad. Now we come to the one hundred and twenty seven thousand of income. Your living expenses, if you're single and you don't have any kids at home, how much do you spend? What's a guesstimate?
4: Um, well, mortgage and uh, utilities is about two uh, k, and then uh, maybe another k and or so
1: in uh, groceries. So yes. you, you think maybe you're spending about fifty thousand a year? Mm, yeah. Okay, so for the moment, and if, and if you want to get more in-depth, schedule an appointment, call into the office, schedule an appointment, and, and we go through each one of these numbers very specifically, all your expenses and so forth. But for tonight, if you're spending 50000 and you're bringing in 127000 and then any idea what you paid in taxes? Uh, probably
4: twenty.
1: Okay. So well, maybe higher. If you All right. So let's say thirty thousand. So eighty from one hundred and twenty. So we got about twenty five thousand left over. Maybe about two thousand a month surplus. Right. That
4: sounds right.
1: Okay. All right. So we got two thousand a month surplus. And how long do you want to work? Until uh,
4: sixty five.
1: So okay. Better. All right. So what we want to do is we want to go ahead and build this thing. Now, why do you want a Roth IRA? Um. Because you've been told that it's got some wonderful tax benefits, right? Correct. Okay. Well, if you were 35 years old, I would absolutely agree with you. But at 51 years old, you don't want a Roth IRA because it's not the, – the tax benefits are only on the growth, Correct. not not on the investment. And so what well, you don't have enough years left to where it makes, it makes sense to you to, to set something aside – just because you might be able to get a little bit out later on without paying tax on it.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our
1: website, com. What you want to do, in my opinion, is look at the 130000 divide that into a small portfolio, maybe, oh... Four mutual funds, uh, each of an equal dollar amount, maybe something like that, and then start f- adding to that at the rate of the two thousand a month. Whatever your surplus is, build that up there. You're still working with after-tax money, but the benefit of this, as opposed to the Roth, is you cannot rebalance that Roth. Let's say that you could go in and start putting in a couple thousand dollars, even five thousand dollars. I mean, what are you going to do with it? You can't, you can't make it part of the whole portfolio. You can't balance the thing. You can't change and move from one to the other. So you've let the tax tail wag the dog and it's a real tiny dog anyway, which means (laughs) the tail is real small. It's, if you were 35 years old and I ran some numbers and said, yeah, let me see, because you can only up until age 59 and a half. So you got maybe seven years of growth of a small amount. Now, if you had 20 years or 30 years, yeah, then I would, I put it on a spreadsheet and I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. But in my office, generally, after 40 years old, we get very hesitant about recommending Roth IRAs. Uh, okay. for, at 45, we usually say no. Yeah. I don't know if, you know, if all of that gives you a long answer to a short question, but the overall view, then over inside your 401k, we need to look at, we need to look away from, you know, that list of all the investment choices you've got there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Okay. Go through that list and X out anything that has the word target date on it. You don't want any of those. Okay. okay. And then look, if you can, get rid of anything that says index funds. All and, right. Okay. Now go to the funds that are there and look up who are the managers, what's their track record, what's their style, how have they done, and from there, you and I have a list of selections that we can go ahead and build something with the four hundred thousand. Okay. Does that help?
4: Okay. Yeah, that helps a lot.
1: Great.
2: You know, hey Dave, um, it kind of reminds me. You remember when your kids were young? You know, who's mining the kids? You're not just going to let anyone babysit the kids, right? Right. So as uh, it's the same thing with your funds. Who's mining your funds?
1: They're being marketed and promoted as some sort of a magical uh, way to accumulate X amount in such and such a year. That's not the world of investing.
4: You want to yeah, know? I who didn't, I didn't look at it as a magical way. It's more probably as a more of a hands-off, low-maintenance, automatically rebalancing way as you get older,
1: right? Yeah. Well, you know, the, guy, the guys that are really low-maintenance, that have no mortgages and everything, you know who they are? Those are the ones that sleep under the bridge. You know the homeless guy? You know, he has no problem with mortgage payments. He doesn't have any problems at all. Yeah. Okay. O- on the other hand, I don't think that that's where we're trying to get to. Hands yeah. off is not where you want to be. You want to be hands on with the help of somebody, at least somebody like myself, that can help hold your hand. Okay.
2: Point taken. Well, thanks for calling, Dave. And We hope you have a great week. And if we can help you anymore, just give us a call at the office, okay?
4: Okay. And that number is
2: 872 7000. And thanks. I mean, hey, you're doing great. You've accumulated.
4: Well, and that's all after a divorce,
2: right? Yes. Well, I oh, wow. Very good. I mean, I'm just. Very good. You, I mean, I just, <laughs> very you good. know, the kids are grown. Yeah. You're good to go. So uh, right. let's see if we can tweak this a little you know, bit. You know, you probably
1: better. have the ability to accumulate over a million dollars by the time that you're 65, I'll bet you. Yeah, I'd like that's to. run. the goal. Yeah.
2: That's the goal. Well, all right.
1: Give us a call, Dave.
2: Congratulations. Okay. Take care. All All right,
3: right.
2: you're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug, isn't it interesting how folks do get a little confused just because they heard the sales pitch? Well, yeah, they heard the. They read it it somewhere. Yeah, it's
1: like I, I don't understand, but I hear it so often. It gets old in my office when you ask them why they're doing something. And
2: yeah, why did you buy those annuities? Well, why uh, did
1: you? Yeah, I heard that last week a lot. But what I was thinking was more like, uh, you know, well, if I if 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 I don't see it, I won't spend it. So therefore, just go ahead and max out my four hundred and one k and put everything over there. Well, that's the wrong answer. I mean, you're just throwing your money at a dartboard and seeing what's going to happen and everything. And then, so what are my choices? Well, X, Y, Z, etc. And then I come down to oh target date fund that sounds nice i don't have to think about it Well see that's wrong you're just playing with your financial future
2: and you know i mean it's not that there's something wrong or right about buying an annuity or buying a target date fund but people need education don't right. they that's they need right. to understand okay if i'm going to make this decision i need to understand a little bit about this vehicle or this transaction, right.
3: okay. and not just be blindly doing it. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Reach R-E-I-T. That stands for real estate investment trust, Uh real estate investment trust. And what do they do? Okay. These real estate investment trusts, they're very interesting animals. Uh, They are stocks of real estate companies, which manage portfolios of commercial properties like office parks, shopping malls, apartment buildings, and they generate very high yields as compared to other stocks because they have a special tax law that governs them. Now, the story on the REITs and the reason they are so popular and the reason they give so much income is that most companies can simply, you know, take a company like IBM, okay? They can reinvest the bulk of their earnings in their business, but a real estate investment trust can't do that. They're required to pay out... 90% of their taxable income to the shareholders each year. What that means is the investors are getting much more than they would otherwise because the double tax that corporate, you know, there is this thing called the double tax. IBM pays tax on its profits and what's left over is a dividend that goes out to the investors and the investors pay tax on that. So by the time they got it, there were two taxes. REITs avoid the double taxation. There's only one tax. So that's the story on why they're so popular. And last year, they had this big um, uh, track record and so forth. But the question is, and and this is what the article was all about, it said, are they still good to buy? Now, there are REITs that are trading on the stock exchange every day, some very well-known ones, public storages, one well-known one, and Highwoods Properties, and all these are publicly traded REITs. But... There are other REITs that are not trading, and they avoid the risk of the value of the REIT. The traded REITs, their value can go up and down, and there is the risk the value will go down, but the income will stay the same generally, and that's why they're so popular.
2: Well, Doug, is it true that, that a REIT can be a stabilizing factor,
1: if it's a a non, yes, if it's a non-traded REIT, it will stabilize the portfolio because it's not trading. Because it's the just market producing is income.
2: fluctuating all the time. And so if you're in stocks or a stock mutual fund, then your values are going to go up day to day, right?
1: Yeah, but the, 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 the opinion of the writer who wrote the article, Can the Streak Last?, and uh, the answer was back and forth. There was a Morningstar uh, um, uh, analyst who said that what he thinks is out there is either valued fairly now or overvalued, but that is on the traded REITs. You can go ahead and avoid that by looking at the non-traded REITs. Okay.
2: Sounds good. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680
3: WPTF. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000.
1: How can I help you, Will? This is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. Um, hi, Doug. How are you? I'm fine, thanks.
4: I have some property that I inherited that I'm going to sell and has a fairly large capital gain
1: on it. When did you inherit the property, Will? A couple of years ago. All right. What's the value of the property? It's
4: it's selling for thirty three five. Thirty three. Not exactly sure what the basis is, but it's around ten to fifteen thousand dollars.
1: And the basis. Uh, how did you get the basis?
4: Well, that was the cost.
1: That's what you. Who who left it to you?
4: Well, actually, it was my mother inherited it, and she's been giving it to us gradually. Um,
1: no, wait a minute. I'm confused. You said you inherited it.
4: Well, it ultimately it was my grandmother's, um, but it's come through my mother to
1: me. This is very crucial. The question I'm asking you. Did you inherit the property or did you receive it by gift? I received it by gift. So you didn't inherit it, right? Okay, that's very unfortunate. Because if you had inherited it, there'd be no capital gains. Did you know that? Oh uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think of it is inherited property, but it's really not. It's not inherited. Unfortunately, it's not. I was hoping you were going to tell me that the, that the ten thousand was what your the basis that your mom who owned it had left it to you in her will and. When she died, that you thought that her basis was yours, and that is not the case. Right. If you are gifted property, then the cat, then the basis is the same basis as the person who owned it that gives it to you. That basis carries over to you. Right. On the other hand, if I was you thinking it
4: went that way when you inherited it as well.
1: Worst thing you can do, because there is a wonderful situation called a step up in basis. For example, let's assume that the property you inherited that no that you received by gift let's say you that, that it was worth 33,500 the day that you got it if it was worth 33,500 the day you got it and the basis of the person that left it to you your mom let's say was 10,000 then your basis would be 33,500 right the basis of the person who inherits property is the value on the day they inherit it. Which means you turn around and sell it the next day and there's zero capital gains. But if she gives it to you and you turn around and sell it, then you pay tax on $23,500. $23, well given
4: the option, I'll keep my mother.
1: <laughs> well no, the be, the best right. thing is, the best thing is to make sure that nobody gives you anything if you think you're gonna sell it. See that's the whole that's the whole strategy. Never let somebody give away to you. What you're gonna hold anyway until that person passes away because you're really shooting yourself in the foot. See what I'm saying? Right. You miss all the step up in bases. Okay. Okay. Well, any more a lot. yeah, by the way, any more questions, give me a call at the office and I'll go over your specific numbers if you want if you want. Well, my number at the office during the week is 872-7000. 7000 and you can speak to Linda. Okay, thanks. This is just the second time I've heard your program, but I enjoy it. Well, good. Thank you for listening, Will. Okay, thanks. All right.
2: What is a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well, our charitable remainder trust, Linda, is a tax-advantaged, irrevocable trust that can provide the client with a lifetime income stream and immediate tax benefits. And the trust principle is ultimately going to go to some sort of a charity But the charity is going to be directed and chosen by the client to occur after the client's death. And many people that I recommend charitable remainder trust for are people in their 30s or 40s or 50s.
2: What, with sizable estates?
1: Actually, they don't even have to have sizable estates. It is simply a tool that can offer many benefits. The predominant benefit is a lifetime income stream starting now a check, a check a month, if you will, a check a quarter, a lifetime income stream, and also some real strong tax benefits.
2: Well, does a charitable remainder trust offer other benefits?
1: It does offer other benefits besides those two main benefits, one being a lifetime of income and the other some nice tax benefits now. Because it's irrevocable, it also, after you die, is not subject to probate avoids 100% of all estate taxes, and is free in most cases from creditor claims.
2: You said it avoids 100% of estate taxes?
1: 100% of estate taxes. Sounds not, like magic. <laughs> not subject to probate. And also, a lot of people are worried about creditor claims. It, is, it puts your assets, take a doctor or a professional who's worried about lawsuits, it can move the assets into a position for the rest of your life where creditors can't attack them.
2: Well, let's look at this a little bit more specifically. What type of client could benefit from a charitable remainder trust?
1: Well, first type of client that comes to my mind, Lynn, is a client with what we call highly appreciated assets. That's fancy language for anything that's grown in value. Maybe it's a a farmer who's got a piece of tobacco land and it's grown in value tremendously, uh, much more than he paid for it. 20 or 30, 40 years ago, it could be a man who's got a stock portfolio or a woman who's got a stock portfolio and it's grown very high. It's called highly appreciated assets and they want to increase their income. They want to reduce their income taxes. And at the same time, they're afraid of paying the capital gains tax and they're worried how to go ahead and shift it from something that's not producing much income to something that is producing income and avoid all of the capital gains tax. That type of person is the first one that comes to my mind.
2: Well, how soon will the Charitable Remainder Trust generate
1: income? If you wish, the Charitable Trust can actually begin paying you almost immediately and can go on for uh, quarterly payments or semi-annual payments. Most of the ones that I set up for clients and that I recommend, Lynn, pay quarterly for the rest of the client's lives.
2: Okay. Now, can the income that's generated pass to the children
1: or others? Yes. As a matter of fact, the Charitable Trust can provide income For the client's life, plus another 20 years, that's the maximum you can get, another 20 years to the children or to anyone else after the client's death.
2: And how is the income tax? Because we're looking at money that's coming out of the trust, right?
1: That's the real, that's right, Lynn. And that's the real confusing issue. It's extremely complicated. Of course, the client doesn't have to worry about it. But on the other hand, it is the real sizzle to a charitable trust, the income is called four-tier accounting income. And the income earned inside this trust and then paid out to the client is paid out first as ordinary income, and then second as capital gains income, and then third as tax-free interest income, and lastly, return of principal income. But most commonly, 90% of the income coming out of a trust is going to be taxed as plain old ordinary income.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well, this is a wonderful strategy for
2: someone. Didn't we have one listener who had a situation where he had inherited a sizable amount of stocks from a relative, Mm -hmm. and the thought of having to sell these stocks after many, many years of ownership, and, you know, of course, it was gifted to him before his relative's death, but the thought of cashing in these stocks was a monster problem with taxes, right?
1: He was scared. He was in the stock market. He was scared, didn't want to stay in the stock market. It was too high, wanted to get out and move into something more conservative, but his accountant had told him if you do you're going to have to pay such a big hunk of capital gains tax because it's made so much profit for you that you can't come out. So he was just stuck as far as he was concerned. You're right. That's a classic case, and that worked out beautifully in his case.
2: Because he did gift the stocks into the trust, Into the
1: trust, and yet he kept control of the trust. For the rest of his life, he will control this thing. But in addition, he also got a tax deduction for doing it and then got to sell the stocks 100% tax-free of capital gains tax.
2: Well, how is the tax deduction calculated?
1: Well, now for moving the money into his own trust, there's a special IRS formula used to determine what's called the future value of a present gift. And this formula takes into account the present value of the gift and the donor's age and the income payment that he selects that he wants to have back to him. And then this criteria determines the value of the gift received at some time in the far distant future. By the designated charity and that's the tax deduction that you get for doing it today.
2: So you get the tax deduction but you also get the benefit of if you invest that money within the trust.
1: Avoiding all the capital gains the taxes. tax and you get all the income.
2: Okay well that's great. And are these contributions to the Charitable Remainder Trust revocable?
1: That's the kicker Lynn. They are not revocable since the IRS allows the avoidance of all capital gains taxes and also gives you a current, that's this year, charitable tax deduction, there must be an irrevocable guarantee that the gift will be received by a qualified charity sometime in the distant future.
2: Can more than one charity be named as a charitable beneficiary of a charitable
1: remainder trust? Lynn, the beauty of the charitable remainder trust, and a lot of people don't realize this, is you can set up one of these trusts. You can designate that you're going to control this thing for the rest of your life. And you can even say that the charity that you identify can be changed also. You can change your mind a million times during your lifetime and keep changing charitable beneficiaries or add different ones on. It doesn't have to be one. It can be changed many times, and there is nothing that can't be changed as long as they still qualify as charities.
3: Give us a call at 919-872-7000. We look forward to meeting with you.
2: What assets can be transferred to fund the charitable remainder trust?
1: Actually, Lynn, most any asset that doesn't have any mortgage or any debt on it can be transferred to a charitable remainder trust. There is caution and assistance that's recommended in transferring assets like real estate and closely held stock of businesses. That's another one that's a really wonderful idea. It's a way to pass your family business on and avoid the capital gains tax. But when you're dealing with those types of things called hard-to-value assets, you really need to work with a professional to make sure that it's done properly. But basically, any asset can be transferred as long as it doesn't have debt.
2: Can only a portion of a particular asset be transferred into the charitable remainder trust?
1: It can. You don't have to transfer the entire thing. This can be accomplished with the charitable remainder unit trust, and the client can choose to fund only part of the asset or the assets into the trust, and then later on can start adding a little more. You don't have to Do the whole thing now. You can say, well, I think I want to move some into my charitable trust now and then add more.
2: What about being a trustee? Can a client be his own trustee?
1: Actually, that's the real strength that not many people are aware of. A charitable remainder unit trust, of course, like any trust, is controlled by the trustee. But yes, you, the donor, can be your own trustee. Now, a donor may want to have a co-trustee who would also have an understanding of the duties of a trustee in case he became incapacitated or he wanted to. And very often when I have a co-trustee, Linda, I set it up as the spouse, the client. His spouse could be the co-trustee or it could be a child, have his child as the co-trustee.
2: When a person has an asset, they probably want to retain some amount of control.
1: If they shouldn't, then I'm going to tell them when they come to see me, you want to have a 100% control as much as possible in every situation of your financial life. Never give up control, if at all possible. Work with a financial planner that can show you how you can keep control of all of your lifetime assets and your afterlife assets also by doing certain type of estate planning and lifetime planning.
2: Okay, well, I think that's a wonderful strategy. And if anyone has any other questions regarding the Charitable Remainder Trust or trusts in general, do give us a call at the office and we'll be happy to answer your questions. The number at the office is area code 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Let's take Dorothy's call. Dorothy, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
4: I ask what was the difference between a short-term note issued by a bank, buying that, or buying a bond?
1: In a sense, they're the same because they're IOUs. Yeah. Are they different kinds of bonds? Are you talking about a treasury bond? Primarily municipal. Put it that way. All right. Well, a municipal bond is a bond that is an IOU guaranteed by a municipality like uh, a state or a highway department or a school district or a hospital and right. so on. Right. The, those are municipal bonds. They, they pay tax-free interest. Right. Uh, and a short-term note, they come in different forms depending on who, who issues them. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, and I'll see if I can tell you what I think is suitable. How old are you?
4: Sixty-eight.
1: You're sixty-eight. You married a single— Single, And what is your income right now, Dorothy? Maybe $400,000. is the income coming from?
4: Investment.
1: Now, if your investment income is $400,000, I... Oh, no, then- I mean, that's investment, not income. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that would have been, you know, about an $8 million investment portfolio. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, if you've got a $400,000 portfolio, uh, then the question is, is that your total source of income yourself plus your Social Security? right. All right. So, do you know how much income that's given you? About, uh, about twenty five. Yeah, about yeah. twenty five thousand. What What does it look like right now? What is your income? What is, What does is the portfolio look like? Do you know what you're invested in? It's very
4: diversified. It's in municipals and it's in some stock. Not much. Not a lot, but some growth stock.
3: Uh
1: huh.
4: Municipals and uh, oh, I can't think what else. A lot.
1: Well. Personally, I think that you should have an asset allocation model applied to your portfolio. That's the first thing. In other words, you should have a system that is controlling your portfolio in terms of how it's diversified. The second thing, I don't think that you should be in individual stocks or individual municipal bonds. Do you know what your living expenses are running you? Uh, not exactly.
2: Do you spend all of the 25000 Pretty
1: much. Well, if she's using all of her investment income, Linda, then she's really depriving herself of any compounding effect on her estate. And what she should do, I would think, what I would prefer to see is have her in – if she wanted municipal bonds, I'd rather she be in municipal bond mutual funds. Uh, because then as the money is moved, there are no commission charges. Afterwards, uh, if she goes from one to the other, of course, if, if she sells one municipal bond or if one matures, she has to pay commissions again. Right. Uh, also, the individual stocks, trying to play the stocks. Uh, who makes the decisions of when to buy and sell a stock?
4: Well.
2: Is your portfolio under management or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I figured. You've got someone doing asset management, which you probably – I would agree with Doug that you need an asset allocation model.
1: You could be getting more income and more growth probably than what you're doing now. And as far as short-term bonds, uh, I mean Fair short-term term notes, notes or bonds, I don't think either of those is what I would do for a person with with your income and with your and with your age. Okay.
2: Okay. And if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to call us at the office at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand.
4: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank
2: and you. thanks for calling, Dorothy. Well, Doug, mutual funds are one of the most practical and easy ways for people to invest for long-term goals such as college or retirement. And I know that there are some common questions about mutual funds that people have.
1: Common questions like what, Lynn?
2: Well, the basic one is, what is a mutual fund?
1: Well, you know, I never thought of people asking that question, but it's a good question, obviously. What is a mutual fund? A mutual fund, Linda, is a regulated company that pools together money from many individual investors through the sale of shares and in turn buys stocks or bonds on behalf of the shareholders. Now, the price of those shares is called the net asset value, and that will increase or decrease depending on the current value of the different stocks or bonds in the mutual fund. Shareholders may receive income from their mutual fund, or they may profit or lose when they sell their shares, just as they would by investing individually in stocks.
2: Well, Doug, why should a person invest in a mutual fund? What are the advantages?
1: All right. Well, I guess the first advantage everybody uh, should be realizing is it offers diversification, Linda. It's the old story of don't put all your eggs in any one basket because a single mutual fund might hold 100 or 200 stocks and bonds. So you could buy $10,000 of a mutual fund and have 100 stocks instead of putting $10,000 into one stock. Now, the second advantage, I guess, is the one of management, professional management. You've got someone managing those stocks and bonds.
2: Right. And, and what are some of the other advantages?
1: Well, I guess some of the other advantages, Linda, are they're cheap to get into. Also, you can reinvest. Not a lot of stocks let you reinvest the dividends, but you can do automatic reinvesting of your dividends, which lets you compound your return. And of course, you can always get out. They're liquid. They're liquid investments. So I guess these are the main advantages of a mutual fund.
2: People also wonder, Doug, are mutual funds insured like CDs or savings accounts?
1: That's something you always need to remind clients is no, they're not insured. Mutual funds are not federally insured, even if they happen to be sold through banks. The investment return is not guaranteed and you can lose money if you sell your shares for less than you paid for them. But mutual funds don't make loans like banks do and they are closely regulated so the risk of a mutual fund actually going broke is extremely small.
2: If this sounds familiar to your situation, call the office in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. One other common question that people uh, have, Doug, is are all mutual funds similar?
1: Well, that's a good question also, Linda. No, they're not similar. Mutual funds have different investment objectives and different levels of risk. For example, some try to generate lots of current income, while others shoot for making big profits on fast-growing stocks. Funds have become very, very specialized these days. Some invest only in tax-free municipal bonds and big company stocks for other funds and corporate bonds for other funds, U.S. government securities, small-cap stocks, gold, silver, internationals foreign countries, all kinds, even special sectors of the economy, like healthcare care funds and technology funds. Yet, even still, there are funds that try to embrace lots of different categories. So, no, all mutual funds are not similar.
2: Now, how many different funds should a person own? I mean, how does a person determine how many funds they should have?
1: There are probably as many answers to that question as there are stockbrokers and financial planners, Linda. But my own advice is... That, number one, it depends on your own investment goals, the amount of money you've got to invest, the time that you have to watch your funds. Overall, you should have an asset allocation model superimposed upon your portfolio with a uniform unit size.
2: And I guess more important than that is how does one pick a mutual fund? I mean, how does a person go about picking, choosing which one they should have?
1: Well... I'm prejudiced, but I think with the help of a certified financial planner, you need to also be sure of the fund's objectives, the degree of risk. Make sure they match your investment goals and your comfort level. You want to compare the fund's total return on each invested dollar with similar type funds, preferably over a five or ten year period. Uh, Of course, past performance is never a guarantee of the future, but it's a guide. You want to look at the fund's fees and their expenses both the upfront sales charges and also the ongoing management fees and how they compare with similar funds. And you also want to most importantly know, has the fund management been consistent with its stated objectives?
2: And another common question that people uh, wonder about mutual funds is, should a person invest in just one fund family?
1: Well, I personally think a fund family uh, is better than buying individual funds. And as long as the fund family offers you all that you need for the size of your portfolio and the unit size you're using, that's fine. Then you may, if not, have to pick a second family or maybe a third family. But I usually try and stay within one family as my base when designing a portfolio, Linda.
2: What's the difference between current yield and the total return?
1: It's an important thing to know the difference between the total return and the current yield because these terms are advertised and most people see little numbers out there. They say, well, you know, such and such a mutual fund has done 18%, 14% for this fund, and so forth. When you hear those numbers, Linda, what is that? What do you think of right away? Current yield? Yeah, but that's not current yield at all. See? That confuses people. That is total return. Would it shock you to know that that current yield is only 1%? The difference in current yield and total return is a crucial thing to understand, and the current yield is really the dividend income coming off it. Never think that you're reading current yield when you hear these and read these numbers. That's the growth portion of the portfolio. Very, very different.
2: If you'd like any further information, call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Let's take our next caller.
2: Hi, Bill. Yeah. This is Linda Lewis. How can we help you today?
4: Well, Linda, I'll tell you, i got a question on whether I'm, I'm saving enough. Yes, sir. i 55. Yes, sir. And I'd like to retire at 58. Okay. Now, the pension will be about $2,000 a month. All right, and what we have now is income of about a hundred thousand, and I've got about five hundred thousand in tax deferred accounts.
2: Let's see. so you're you're okay, so you've got five hundred thousand in tax deferred accounts. Your current income is a hundred thousand. Is that you combined with your wife? Yes. All right. And will she continue to work? No. What are your expenses?
4: Other than what we're saving, we spend the rest of it. So we're saving about twenty thousand a year.
2: So you're spending about eighty thousand, and then of
4: course the tax taxes.
1: So yeah. how much you spend last year in taxes?
4: That one I can't answer.
1: Well, if we <laughs> assume that you spent uh, maybe uh, thirty thousand in taxes last year, okay, and you're saving twenty thousand, then that says that you're spending fifty thousand. Okay. If you're spending fifty thousand, then what does he want to do, Linda? He wants to find out whether he'll have fifty thousand. In three years,
2: and you're saying that in retirement you'll get two thousand a month. month. That's twenty four. That's twenty four thousand. But do you have, Bill, anything outside of the tax deferred investments? I mean, do you have like any other personal funds?
0: Just uh, emergency money.
2: So you don't have like your own mutual funds in your own name no. or CDs or anything like
1: that. No. But that's okay. He'll be 58 years old. That's
2: yeah, right. no, I, you'll be able uh-huh. to access that so money. So let's
1: see what his shortfall is, Linda. He needs to have, He needs to get fifty thousand dollars before tax, which means he probably needs to get about about seventy five thousand. He needs to get fifty thousand after tax to live. So he needs to end up with maybe about seventy five thousand dollars coming in from everything, right? And he's got twenty four of that already from the pension. So he's gonna be shy about fifty one thousand dollars, it's gotta come from somewhere and that's gonna come from has to come from his investments or his retirement plan. Now you said your retirement plan is worth how much, about five hundred? Yes. All right, total five hundred. Well obviously if you were to try and do it today you couldn't make it. That's right. Because five hundred thousand will not give fifty one thousand a year income. The question is, if we can get it growing between now and the next three years, will it grow big enough to where then it'll throw off fifty one thousand a year income? And uh, I'm not at my office. I'm down at the station during the week. I'm at the office. If you were at my office, I would be able to work some numbers for you a little better. That number at the office, by the way, is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. But if we go ahead and think that we can grow that five hundred thousand to where it's worth about seven hundred or about seven hundred thousand, if we got it up to seven fifty, I would say you're all right. Uh, because 750 could comfortably give you 51,000 a year. Okay. And 51,000 a year plus your regular 24,000 a year would give you 75,000 a year. And then your 75,000 a year subtracting your taxes would leave you the 50,000 a year that we think you need.
3: Give us a call at <laughs> 919-872-7000. We look forward to meeting with you.
1: Now we've got a lot of Iffy sort of assumptions here, since we're doing this real quick on the back of a pad of paper. At sixty-two, the Social Security would kick in. Oh right. yeah,
2: so we have right. other so we, sources of income.
1: Yeah, well, no, we got a gap. We got a gap period there because we right. and we also got a penalty period for the first year and a half. We'd have to pay a ten percent penalty. It would be an interesting equation. By the way, the money right now—what kind of retirement plans it in?
4: It's tax deferred. It's a combination of four hundred and one k and IRA.
1: Uh yeah, if you – um the IRA portion we could work with now, the 401k portion we could only work with at retirement. But if I had the whole thing spread out in front of me, I could go ahead and make some recommendations about how to try and make sure that you would get it. And then we would try and grow it up to age 58, and a half, 58 when you retire. Then we have two choices. We can do uh, – there's a special section in the tax code that will let me get that money out for you and not pay the 10% tax penalty. Is that only for the IRA or both? That's for both. Okay. But uh, we have to do it with a, uh, a five-year freeze. Uh, however, that would work. We could do that or we could just go ahead and look at the living expenses at that time and see how close we are. We may not have to go ahead and do it. We may be able to go ahead and do it on a variable. Uh, you have no money of your own invested anywhere? No. Okay. Yeah, it would be a very interesting equation. I think we could work with it and we could do it. Uh, Worst case is we have to pay a penalty for a year. Uh, That would be your choice, whether to pay the penalty for the year and a half to get to where age 59, you don't have to go ahead and you can then adjust according to your needs. And then two, three more years later, we could do the Social Security.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, listen, jot down my office number. It's 872 Seven thousand. Okay. That's 919-872-7000. And some people remember that as just USA 7000. Okay. All right. Thanks
2: so much for calling, Bill. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. care.
1: Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week, and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. In the meantime, have a great week, and remember your money matters because your financial future is at stake
0: you've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information you can call Doug, Linda or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000 that's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5pm for Money Matters with the Lewis On 680.